when others called it a hoax. We didn't waver when they covered up and lied for Trump and others. We stuck to the facts through COVID, corruption, and a coup to a war in Ukraine. At Narrative, we've been telling you the truth about Putin and Xi since 2016. Narrative, it's where truth lives. Welcome to a Thursday night special edition of Narrative Live. It's good to be with you as we talk about crypto and a bunch of other things. You like that opening, I think, Eric. I think you got a thing out of that. You, you know, inspiring. It is inspiring. You know, in the story of how the people overcame tyranny, cryptocurrency will be a big chapter in that. Um, and I predict. And that's why we have Kaz Piancy here tonight. And Kaz is a journalist at the Protoss and also a co-host of the Crypto Critics Corner. Now, as the name implies, he's not necessarily a full-on endorser of everything crypto. It is the Crypto Critics Corner. So he has some things to share with us about things that might be not so great about crypto or just, or I know, we'll find out what he has to say. How are you, Kaz? It's good to have you on the show. Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. Thank you both for having me. I suppose I'm doing a little bit better than some others in the space right now, simply because... Uh... It's been a, a bit of a cluster F, I guess I'll say. It's been a mess out there. Well, it's been uh, several days, so it hasn't been 24 hours necessarily. It's been uh, several days, months, if you look a little bit further than that. Uh, things have been on a general downtrend, much like our normal traditional markets. Things have been on a, a downtrend overall in cryptocurrency, I would say. But what's been particularly ugly is that there is something called a stable coin, which is a coin supposed to be pegged one-to-one -to, -one to another asset, in this case, the US dollar. Uh, it was a rather large stable coin with 18 billion in value locked up. And it has essentially gone to zero. So there's obviously going to be, it isn't at zero. I think it's trading at around 50 cents right now, 40 cents. Um, but it's looking bad. And the concerns are there's going to be kind of wider contagion for the ecosystem because of it. Yeah, I think like a maybe a, a trillion dollars of value has been wiped out in just the last few days. Check out this guy who's uh, KSI Crypto. He says my $2.8 million is literally worth $1,000. There's a ha 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 a lot. And then he says, yeah, I'm packing this in. So, you know, that's a big loss if you're an investor in something. I mean, no one wants to lose any amount of money, but $2.8 million would hurt. 2.799 oh, yeah. million. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So um, it has been a bad day and it really is a bad omen for the entire crypto market. The Bitcoin 
itself is trading at remarkable lows today, uh, lows that we haven't since 2020, as far as I can tell. And it doesn't look necessarily very good because another one of these uh, stable coins, uh, Tether, is also looks like it's collapsing or maybe on the verge of collapsing. So th- that isn't very good news, is it? It's been wild. It's been wacky. I wouldn't say that uh, Tether is necessary. I've been here for long enough to know that just because that particular stable coin goes a few cents off of its uh, peg. It is not the end of the world for Tether. As much as I'm a critic and would maybe uh, cross my fingers and think that that might be the right thing to happen, I don't think that is reality, at least right now. Um, But yes, I think there are contagion fears in regard to the price of Bitcoin as well. And what that could mean for Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy that have a, a large portion of their portfolios in Bitcoin, what that could mean for um, other companies and uh, stuff that's publicly listed that is heavily invested in Bitcoin. I think that we uh, certainly could be more capitulation and more pain, for sure. We're going to talk a lot more about this because there's so much interesting questions. And there is very much fallout uh, for the entire economy as we look ahead to the elections, which will be an inflation and economy elections again. And that's why all of this really matters for the people in the political world, even if you don't own any Bitcoin. But it will have contagion, certainly, uh, across the entire economic uh, sphere. And uh, just everyone's up to speed here, the current value of Bitcoin, this is a couple of hours old, but it's 28,776 US dollars, which is about where it was, if you look at this graph, about five years ago. No, about uh, one year ago, two years ago. Anyhow, we'll get back to all of that with Kaz, who knows much more about all of this a little later on. But right now, Eric and I are going to do some other stuff and uh, Kaz will be back with us in just a few minutes. It's also been a big day at the January 6th committee, hasn't it, today? Uh, they've been handing out subpoenas, <clears throat> not to your typical um, crowd. This time it's, uh, it's friends and colleagues that are being asked to come and testify. Yep. McCarthy, Gosar, our man Jim Jordan. Andy Biggs, was he in the list? Andy Biggs was. I don't think Gosar actually was. I think he was. he's previously had his own legal oh, challenges. Okay. I don't think he got included in this batch, although I'm sure he sends his regrets. Um, you know, this is not a particularly good look for the GOP because they actually work as their jobs. Their day yeah. jobs is to work in the House. As they required a subpoena yeah. at a place they already work. Yeah. It's not a good look. It's not, you know, you really are supposed to follow the rules of your workplace. I mean, like if you're in the car, co- you're at work in your office, right? And yeah. you're in the coffee, you're in like a break room. Yeah. And they're like, it's, we were having a meeting in the conference room and you work here. So you're invited. It's at 11 o'clock. I mean, if you had to get the U.S. Marshals or some other police force to take you from the coffee break room to the conference center, it would suggest some dysfunction yeah. in your organization, right? Especially with the That's kind of actually- what's happened here. Yeah. Is like, we'd like to talk to you about the time we had to count the electoral college votes. And they're like, fuck you, you'll never get us. <laughs> It like, it's also that it's all, you know, affected everyone. This is an event that affected every single person who works at the Capitol. So the fact that these people who may have some responsibility for it are not out there, um, you know, talking about that, it must be make the place very tense, especially when you know that they're lying. I mean, that's the other factor is that they're, they're full on lying. Well, there, there is that. Hey, guys, remember that time the mob came and tried to murder at least a few of us and like overthrow democracy? Yeah. Like. Did you guys protect it and showed around a few days before? Look, we can't look backwards. We have to look forwards. Exactly. Okay. So it says here on January the 12th, 2022, the Select Committee delivered you a letter seeking your voluntary cooperation with our investigation. As explained in the letter, which is attached to the subpoena, the Select Committee has tremendous respect 
for the uh, prerogatives of Congress and the privacy of our members. At some time, we have at the, a solemn at the responsibility. same time, we have a solemn responsibility to investigate fully the facts and circumstances of the violent attack on the United States Capitol and issues relating to the peaceful transfer of power. Mm. And the select committee believes that you have information that is important to its investigation. Unfortunately, you declined voluntary cooperation, and we are left with no choice but to issue you this subpoena. I mean, that's very nicely worded. It's very respectful. But, you know, underneath Uh, all of it all is a lot of uh, potentially criminal activity that these people were responsible for. I mean, it's not just that they are not wanting to come and talk to the house. Can I, and, yeah. can I translate that real yeah. quickly? Thank you. Let's see. Pursuant to the authorities, okay, fuckers, here's a subpoena. Uh, on January 12th, it equals, we gave you four fucking months, yeah. all right? And you're fucking around, and this is about the time they tried to kill us here and overthrow the government, and you won't go from the break room to the conference room so here's a subpoena. Fuck you, Benny Thompson. That's, That's a funny. very, very, very good interpretation of that. Thank you so much for helping us understand. <laughs> also, because think, you we're... Know, English to profanity, that's my chief language pair as an interpreter, which is my I, first job. I support that. I support you and you keeping doing that for everyone because everyone needs to really understand all these things. The uh, oh, here he is. Here he is. Responsibility for Wednesday's attack on Congress by mob rioters. He should have immediately denounced the mob when he saw what was unfolding. These facts require immediate action by President Trump. Accept his share of responsibility. Quell the brewing unrest. And ensure President-elect Biden is able to successfully begin his The president bears responsibility. Begins his terms, obviously, the last words that's missing there. But it's, boy, I mean, that's pretty clear. He's pretty clear about what he meant that day. And, you know, oh, it's yeah. pretty clear in all the audio tapes that we've had since that he really thought, thought it was the president's responsibility at the time. Oh, and yeah. yet now he's willing to risk a subpoena and actual criminal action against him by the DOJ because he is that beholden to this man that he feels that he can't in any way go back and tell people the truth. He has to basically break the law for Donald Trump and he's willing to do it. Boy, weird, weird. That is weird. He must have uh, some hold on him. I don't know what it is, but it must uh, it must go back. Who knows? We should go back at some point and just watch the video of that night. Like, I think it's becoming increasingly clear there are a bunch of people who knew that this is going to happen. That there was that one way or the other was going to be insane. Either it worked and it'd be insane, or God forbid, on the GOP side, it fails and then is even worse insane. And I just go. We got to find some video of Lindsey Graham, who's out there and appears to be up in his cups, as the Irish would say. Uh, he seems a little bit loose for that time and I, he's like, this is crazy. This, all the, just all this is it's not really articulate at all. And then you get the video of Mitt Romney looking at Josh Hawley. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, there's a lot. I mean, none of us thought that, or sorry, I'm sure very few people thought that Mike Pence was going to be the guy on that day who strode back in at the end of the night, like Clint Eastwood at the end of Unforgiven. When he goes into the bar and, you know, you shouldn't have made my best friend a decoration outside. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm not getting in that (laughs) That was the (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, he's, you know, it's not that I don't trust you. I just don't think I'd be coming back. And then he comes back and does his constitutional duty. 
and everybody <laughs> there's just all this emotion all these people all over each other uh, in there there's so much just in that it's footage so and yeah he's on the day of He's like, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, it's a Democrat witch hunt. The whole thing, by the way, they wanted them just to keep him there so they would postpone the vote for the one day. That's all they wanted. But Nancy Pelosi, of course, knew that they were trying to postpone the vote for one day. So she insisted that they stay and do. They didn't want to leave in any event because they didn't want to abandon the House. But they knew they had to come back and do that vote that day, not to give the chance uh, for Justice Alito, believe it or not, who was the justice that they thought was going to give them some sort of stay on the uh, election results. Uh, the same justice who's now taking away Roe versus Wade. So that's become quite apparent in the latest reporting. What they were trying to do was if they could just stop Pence from going forth. He wasn't going to overthrow the thing himself. Mm -hmm. It would be just chaotic enough for the Insurrection Act if he mm -hmm. didn't have the vote in by midnight. And then the Supreme, and, Court just, the Supreme Court could jump in. Well, we as we've covered on the show before, they were going to then there was going to be some Antifa stuff mm -hmm. in the streets and then people out to shoot us if we were out after curfew and fake electors were going to come in from Georgia and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and other places. And state houses were going to be occupied by armed uh, paramilitary traders. And, but they just need that one. If you can, you know, the rules say he's got to do it on the sixth. If we can just get him to not do it on the sixth, as soon as we have some chaos, we can throw the insurrection act. So there's some new and, detail around that. Actually, we'll do it tomorrow because there's a lot of great interesting thing, things that have developed about why it was so important for that one day and Justice Alito. And I actually forgot about even mentioning it. And I, I will do it tomorrow. Some really interesting new detail that I, someone was floated around on, on Twitter the other day. And it's, it's important. But let's stick to what happened today. Here's what they say about Kevin McCarthy. He was in communication with President Trump before, during, and after the attack on January the 6th. Mr. McCarthy was also in communication with other members of the White House staff during the attack. And in days before and after January the 6th concerning the events at the Capitol, Mr. McCarthy also claimed to have had discussions with the president's immediate aftermath of the attack, during which President Trump admitted some culpability for the attack. So, yeah, Kevin's screwed. I mean, you know, because he's the bridge that they need to prove that Donald Trump is the kingpin of all of this. And they're going to prove the it. Kingpin. Meanwhile, Scott Perry over here, who's not had that much focus on him, but he was very much involved in the uh, fraudulent slate of electors. So he says here that uh, Perry was directly involved with efforts to corrupt the Department of Justice and installed Jeffrey Clark as Attorney General. In addition, Mr. Various communications with the White House about a number of matters relevant to the Select Committee's investigation, including allegations that Dominion voting machines had been corrupted, which turned out, of course, not to be true. So... He's in trouble too. This, these are big allegations that all seem kind of illegal to me. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but they seem illegal to me. Meanwhile, Jim Jordan, you, you must do a good Jim Jordan, I'm sure. He was in communication with I mean, President all Trump. kind of bad. So. <laughs> he was in communication with President Trump on January the 6th and participated in meetings and discussions throughout late 2020 and early 2021 about strategies for overturning the 2020 election. Amazing. Only Democrats, of course, only the Democratic results were Democrats won. Uh, Mel Brooks spoke at the rally on January the 6th, encouraging rioters to start taking down names and kicking ass. I remember that clip. In addition, Mr. Brooks had publicly described Ooh, conversations. That's an incitement to violence. It seems like that. Kicking ass. That sounds like a violent act um, in which the former president urged mm -hmm. him to work to 
rescind the election of 2020. That sounds like a direct order, doesn't it? Urged him to rescind the elections of the 2020 elections and reinstall Mr. Trump as president. So that's an important line. Former president urged him. Install. Yeah. Hmm. Sounds Mm. sounds like a scheme. Sounds like a Rico going on. The select committee is also as evidence that Mr. Brooks' staff met with members of Vice President Pence's staff before January the 6th and conveyed the view that the Vice President does not have authority to unilaterally refuse to count certified electoral votes. Hmm. Interesting. Do you want to do the last one? Do you want to do Mr. Biggs? Sure. Representative Andy Biggs participated in meetings to plan various aspects of January 6th and was involved with plans to bring protesters to Washington for the counting of electoral college votes. Oh, so he helped organize the violent attack. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mr. Biggs was involved in efforts to persuade state officials that the 2020 election was stolen. So he's a prime co-conspirator there in the seditious conspiracy. Additionally, former White House personnel identified Mr. Biggs as potentially being involved in an effort to seek a presidential pardon for activities connected with the former president's efforts to overturn the 22 the 2020 presidential election. When this goes to trial, if these guys won't plead out, we'll be presented to the jury as consciousness of guilt. So yeah. These so, guys yeah. have been corrupt. These guys have been committing crimes, and no wonder they don't want to testify because they realize they These guys eat. are fucking traitors. I mean, we're now <laughs> we're getting down to like where the fancy language gets to go away. And the, I note that from I was doing the dramatic reading, and the reason I reduced it to the the four letter Germanic uh, Anglo terms is we're getting down to y'all try to violent attack to overthrow the government. Mm. Yep, and There's no doubt about it. You're traitors. You're treason. And once we figure out that we've actually been in a war, which we have been for the last few years, then that really is treason, like plain old treason, which you can only really do under war circumstances. But, you know, it's true that we have been under some sort of war since 2016. I have so much I want to say about all of this. And I also want to mention about, talk about Finland, because that's so important, but we're not going to, because we're going to take the commercial break and we're going to talk about the crypto crash, because that's so important to today's news and has huge implications for the election. So take a quick break and we'll come back and, and talk to Kaz PNC again about that. But if you'd like to join our conversation, you can always go to narrative.org forward slash TV for patrons only. You'll be able to use the messenger service over there to get your messages directly to us here on the show. And you can ask Kaz any questions you might have about whatever it is you want related to crypto. You just go to narrative.org forward slash TV and turn on the interactive player over there and ask us your questions. That's for patrons only. We'll be right back with Kaz right after this. Hey, everybody, it's Zev Shalev here. It's becoming more and more expensive to buy groceries. And if you, like me, are trying to get all the nutrients and vitamins you need while still balancing your budget, it's become nearly impossible to get all the nutrients you need from food alone, especially on a budget. That's why I did the 30-day Athletic Greens Challenge in April. The plan was simple. Take the AG1 supplement throughout April and track any increases in energy levels, overall well-being, and vitality. And if my immune system felt boosted, I did it throughout April. And I have to say, I feel terrific every day taking it. I still take it every day after the 30-day challenge was over. And the biggest fear that people have about green drinks is the taste. And I have to tell you that even taking a daily, drinking this drink every day, the drink tastes great every time. It's refreshing and tastes a little bit like a tropical drink. AG1 is engineered to provide all the right nutrients 
at just the right time. Whether you want increased energy or improved muscle recovery, they've got it covered. And because they care about your wallets too, AG1 will only cost you around three bucks a day. To make it easy for you, Athletic Greens is also going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative. That's the way we spell narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V, to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And remember to go visit that site if you want all those free goodies attached to your order. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash narrative, N-A-R-A-T-I-V. And we're back live with Kaz PNC and Eric Garland talking about the crypto crash. Kaz is a journalist at Protoss and also the co-host of the Crypto Critics Corner. So Kaz, how serious is this collapse? We talked a little bit at the top of the show, but I mean, in terms of is Bitcoin going to survive this collapse or are we seeing the beginning of the end of crypto? I mean, you can't be 100% sure about anything, but I would suggest that there's almost no chance that Bitcoin would go to zero. It's an almost impossibility in current market conditions, is what I'll say. Well, it's gone down a lot. Here's the chart we had on before we got to break there. That seems to have, uh, you know, this chart does not look good for any investor. No one would be happy to be with, you know, where we are right now. And certainly the last, what is this, like two years? When did the climb start happening? In, the, in 2021, it did go up to roughly uh, 70,000. So you're looking at a decline from... Uh, about 70,000 to 30,000. So it is a very, very steep decline mm-hmm. over a relatively fast period, actually. If you see where it topped out there, this decline is strong and fast, about uh, possibly faster than it even went up, maybe not. But this has happened before, I guess, is uh, a point that I find to be relatively valid from people who are invested in Bitcoin. If you look at the overall chart forever ago, I think it's gone through 90% corrections, six, seven, eight times, something like that. This is not new for investors in cryptocurrency. But for this guy, we spoke about earlier at the top of the show, Mr. KSI Crypto, it's not good for him because he was invested in this Luna currency. Tell me what the Luna currency is or was. Yeah. So I think it's really important to to differentiate between what's uh, like... The, the majority of the liquidity in cryptocurrency is in uh, two two coins, one Bitcoin, which most people are familiar with, and the other Ethereum, which uh, most people are also familiar with. But then there's these other assets. There's a slew of other assets that we don't need to go into all of those. There are um, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of coins that trade daily. But the class of coin that we're talking about today are what you have right there called up stable coins. And there's a lot of stable coins. It's not just Terra, but the one that has collapsed is Terra. And Terra is a specific kind of stable coin. So if you're familiar with traditional markets, then you know that if you trade on a brokerage account or um, if you trade at all, then oftentimes what you'll have in your account is not actual dollars, but you'll have some sort of money market fund. You'll have something that represents roughly about a dollar. There's been issues with money market funds as well. And there's issues with real pegged currencies in the real world regularly. This is something that happens all the time. I think uh, everyone is familiar with um, the infamous George Soros attack on 
the British pound, uh, where he essentially won. He beat England down and he made a lot of money doing it. Now, regardless, stable coins are supposed to maintain the value of some other asset. They're a derivative. There's different kinds of stable coins. There's ones that are pegged to gold, the price of, let's say, an ounce of gold. There's stable coins that are pegged to, I don't know, you, and you name the currency and that they might be pegged to it. Mm. The most used one and the one that is the largest is called Tether. Tether is backed the way, essentially, it has a lot of its own issues that we don't need to get into today. But Tether itself is pegged via similar to like a money market fund if you believe what they say, which is that they have a basket of assets and roughly try to risk on, risk off enough that it maintains roughly about a dollar. And if you want to trade in your tethers at any point, you can trade them in for a dollar. That's the claim. Right. Terra is a much different stablecoin, is what I just want to say here, is that Terra, which had $18 billion in locked value versus Tether, which has about $80 billion in locked value, uh, Terra what is called an algorithmic stablecoin. So people in cryptocurrency are kind of trying to invent the perpetual money motion machine here. And what this is, is that there is one coin that is supposed to be worth a dollar or worth a, let's say, a Korean won at all times. And then there's this other coin that is valuable outside of that ecosystem. And you can always trade X amount of the other coin for Terra. So Terra and Luna, you have the other name up there. So Luna is this coin that is supposed to have free float on the market, but it maintains the peg due to staking mechanisms and all of these other things that the magic, financial magic, they've come up with financial magic Mm -hmm. and have essentially made it so that this free floating coin can now stabilize this, uh, pegged coin. And simultaneously, they were also offering roughly 20% APR on this. Like if you staked it, if you were using this and uh, using the ecosystem in the way that it was supposed to be designed, you could earn up to supposedly 20%, right? Um, Was was the claim. So they, 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 just just one last point before Eric, if I can just jump in, just one last thing. Um, Do you think that the the, the idea behind a stable coin was to keep the market stable, right? I mean, it was not designed to destroy the market, yet here it's, you know, it's meant to give people confidence that the stable coin would always be worth at least, you know, whatever the value is of the asset they're comparing it to. Yet it's, it's done the exact opposite. It seems to have fundamentally shaken the entire market. It's done everything but keep it stable. Yes. So that's been a long issue with stablecoins in general, because uh, they're not designed to necessarily stabilize a market. I think what they're designed to do is similar to a US dollar. If if you've been invested, let's say in, I don't know, name a random stock, let's say Apple for a few years, you've made plenty of money on it and it's starting to go down and you decide, I want to get out of this, right? What do you go into? Well, you don't just jump from one stock into another. Usually you sell that stock and go into a US dollar or money market fund, right? So stable coins are designed similarly in that people who were buying cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Ethereum, other stuff, wanted a place that they could move money when they felt like the markets were too volatile. Mm -hmm. The problem in the cryptocurrency ecosystem as it is, is that getting money from your bank account to any of these exchanges where you could now trade these cryptocurrencies would often be incredibly difficult because, well, 
Uh, Thanks. Thanks for these exchanges have known to have a lot of problems. Let's yeah. just say that. So a lot of their they have banking issues. They in the past, not so much these days, but in the past. Um, so stable coins were designed to create a way that you could move out of a trade without having to move into dollars, where even if you could move those dollars back into the ecosystem, it could maybe take three or four days to wire that cash to your account, right? So there is a proper reasonable use case for this in terms of it's a hedge at the speculation table, right? Got it. Well, I, got, I got a lot of questions. I mean, uh, principally about what uh, financial magic is. It's a term I've, I'm not familiar with. <laughs> but you made some comparisons here between stable coins and either the U.S. dollar and, say, market uh, exchange-traded funds and, and like that. Now, do you know what the U.S. dollar is backed by? Well, I mean, I take no issue with uh, the U.S. dollar. In my mind, I find the U.S. dollar to be quite valuable. Obviously, I use it every day. What is it backed by? It's backed by the U.S. GDP. It's backed by what we produce. The it's backed by the full faith around here. It's and it's backed by the course, full, the full faith, faith and credit. The full faith and credit of the United States government, because it's a nation state that takes on obligations, and so do all the other countries that have currencies. Now, Argentina's, you know, promises aren't worth as much and they have a whole lot more volatility. Britain and Germany's have a lot less volatility uh, because promises are reliable. So that's the, uh, talking about central banks is a whole nother issue. They're certainly not squeaky clean and there's a lot to discuss. Uh, Alexander Hamilton did his best job. Right. Mm-hmm. Making uh, the U.S. Treasury stuck around pretty long. I think the guy did a pretty good job. That's the nation state currency here. And the exchange traded funds, stocks, there's a lot of tomfoolery that goes on with those. But those are companies ostensibly in operation that own assets that have disclosed those assets and their business operations to the Securities and Exchange Commission. And you get a cut of that. Now, there's a whole lot, you know, the ultra high frequency trading and, you know, Mercer bullshit. There's a lot that departs from rational value. It's not perfect. But at least these are companies that are in operation. And we can go, well, I'm invested in General Motors. They make cars. Or ExxonMobil. They find oil and they dig it out. But what is this based on? It's not based on a nation state's backing of its people and its overall industry. And it's not backed by any specific economic activity. So I'm having trouble seeing how the stable coins were ever stable because I don't know what they're backed okay. by. Yeah, okay. So it definitely depends on which stable coin we're talking about here and which which other coin we're talking about. For instance, if you, I, like the argument regarding Bitcoin and its value, you know, I'm a critic. I still think that there's a lot of interesting and fascinating things to say about Bitcoin. I think that there are use cases and uh, useful reasons for it to exist. Now, if we're talking about stable coins, where is the backing coming from, for instance, for Tether? Tether issues a, it's not an audit. Make sure that everybody understands that very clearly. They've promised an audit for a very long time now, and they've never gotten an audit. But what they do is this kind of, you could, I don't know, pie chart kind of it tells you a basic summary of what their assets are according to them. So this is not like someone's going in there and digging through their assets and telling you, oh, well, this is not exactly accurate or this, uh, whatever. Like it's just them and what they say to an auditor and you're, and you're trusting that. Um, 
that's clear. So they're they're backed by uh you know by cash and cash equivalents, you know, treasuries, risk on assets that are riskier than actual U.S. dollars, right? So they're ba- they're backed by nation state currencies that are backed that by one the is. government. Yeah, they claim that one they is. Claim that, yeah. That, yeah, yes, I mean, exactly, exactly. They what's claim their fiduciary it doesn't mean that it's true. Ah, so they don't really have a fiduciary responsibility with central banks. No, as far as I understand, they don't. I mean, there's no regulation of any of these stable coins at all. Which, you know, and that's yeah, they, why there's so much regulatory attraction to these things, because, you know, people are claiming, like, tell by attraction, you mean prosecution, yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean why? There's the, a lot of attraction to it. A, you know, people are concerned that there's an understanding around stable coins that they might be, you know, backed up by the U.S. government. And, of course, they're not backed up by any government. If you lose your stable coins, you lose your coins. Well, Tether's out of oh, Hong Kong, so, actually. Yeah. So Tether, uh, I went to Hong Kong to try to find Tether. That is a story that I wrote. Tether is not in Hong Kong, I can assure you. They are not anywhere, as far as I know. Bitfinex and Tether do not actually have an office anywhere. What does that, as what does far that mean as they're not that, anywhere? What does that mean? That, then? If shit hits the fan, that there's nowhere for you to stand out with a picket sign in front of and complain about it. But You're definitely not uh, getting your Definitely money. not if it yeah. goes to zero. But, and you can't so, find us uh, to come look, and ask find, us. But, Okay. That's a whole, like I said, whole different set of issues over there. What I was talking about when I referenced financial magic, I can actually find an old tweet from an old friend where they said they had screenshotted exactly how it described itself. And this is how Terra was described. Terra is a price-stable cryptocurrency designed for mass adoption. It builds financial infrastructure for the next generation of decentralized applications. Terra is backed by Luna, a decentralized asset that derives its value from transaction fees collected on the Terra network. Much like the moon stabilizes the Earth's rotation, <laughs> Luna is Terra's eternal guardian uh, of stability. You're right. Just like the moon. Yeah. That's how you get your money back, because the moon yeah. stabilizes. Where we're all going, right? Yeah. Straight yes. to the moon. So, uh, yeah. So this, this is terrible. Uh, peak the- kind of... Peak euphoria, for sure, is when this was designed and marketed. And this whole 20% APR thing was suggested as a marketing scheme. I mean, they said as much. They said it wouldn't last forever, that they couldn't promise 20% forever, and that it would eventually go down slowly, and that the goal was to become too big to fail, I think. Well, how many trillion dollars are there in the crypto market? I mean, there must be... There's only more than a trillion dollars, I think, I've read today. Maybe, you know, it's like a huge It's about 1.2 trillion right now, I believe. Yeah, 1.2 trillion dollars is coming from somewhere. I mean, that's value that's originating from something originally. It's not just price up of the price climbing of Bitcoin, although some of it truly is. You know, this is money that's been taken out of the economy, presumably. I mean, what people used to use for dollars, they're now using Bitcoins for, presumably, or, or other cryptocurrencies. And therefore, some of that money is coming out of the U.S. economy. No, you're not, you know, it's not all 1.3 trillion because so much of it has just been the inflation of these assets. But this is money that would otherwise be in circulation, isn't it? I mean, I guess I'm just asking because I don't know. Sure, I guess. I mean, like I, there's plenty of VC money sloshing around in dumb seed rounds for other things in traditional finance as well. I mean, I don't think everything in this space is a scam, but do I think that money is too cheap right now, and then you have dumb ideas that are promising impossible yields getting funded by big names. So there were big names invested in this company. I want to iterate that, that this wasn't just mom and pop, you know, naive folks falling for it. This was 
huge venture capital firms, people consider, you know, the biggest names in crypto, some of these firms that back them. We're talking uh, Cacao Ventures, which okay. uh, like we're talking Cacao Ventures, which is Cacao is one of the largest companies in Korea. We're talking about tons of uh, Chinese backing. We're talking about, I don't know if Binance is one of the biggest Binance is, cryptocurrency yeah. exchanges Binance is out of the Caymans and Seychelles. Yes. Yeah. And, and, but, but really out of China. Yeah. They're all out of China. All of these companies, really a lot of them, a lot of these Not, giant VC I, firms that are backing uh, Bitcoin are out of China. I mean, it's just, it's true, I think. Maybe, but I think a lot of that has kind of been tamped down. I do think that China's really kind of in the past year, I've heard about OTC desk people, uh, like well-known ones uh, getting arrested, getting vanished, getting disappeared and not being heard from again. So, you know, like, I do think that China is clamping down in some sense on cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency trading. That's also like a rumor that comes every year or two in cryptocurrency and then suddenly it's allowed again. So I do an analysis in this space and I've been working on it for over 10 years. The vast majority of the liquidity here just shot into the market in 2021 when people realized Joe Biden was going to be president, Merrick Garland was going to be head of the Department of Justice, and there was likely to be a very different regulatory environment. Moreover, at the end of 2020, the National Defense Authorization Act uh, went in and said, we're as part of the national defense, we need to identify the ultimate beneficial owner of every LLC in Delaware, Nevada, other places. We're going to do that with biometrics. We need to bulk up on FinCEN for sanctions violation from Russia and North Korea. And now, of course, Russia and other places with all that intensity. And then, of course, there's threats against that with China as well. It's like Almost as soon, and also in the UK was starting to require ultimate beneficial owner disclosure for its offshore overseas territories, peculiar possessions of the Queen, Jersey, Guernsey, British Virgin Islands. They would have to actually say who owns the account, right? right? And so hiding your dirty money offshore is going to get a hell of a lot harder. And then all this money rushes into crypto and a fuck ton of it comes from the countries that are, you know, into that are basically mafia states, mob money launderers, and then some. So it seems like that's got some strategic risk to it for the sector. Yeah, it does. Yeah, there's no doubt. I don't think anybody who's in the space would try to deny that there's certain popularity aspects to this in terms of sanctions evasion, let's say, or tax evasion or money laundering. Those are certainly very real aspects to the industry, something to certainly be worried about. And like you said, there's a lot of crackdowns happening. We uh, Last week, the British Virgin Islands premier was arrested in Miami for drug charges. So that's, you know, Clearly, there's major problems with all of this. And of course, you know, every cryptocurrency exchange is incorporated in the Cayman Islands or the British Virgin Islands or the Seychelles or Hong Kong or Switzerland, right? I mean, this is, again, common, open secret in the industry. Nobody really cares. And but, uh, but that is money I coming out of the economy. The- I mean, it's, it's money that's being taken out of the economy or it's money that's being laundered from criminal events or the sale of illegal assets or whatever it is being you know laundered through cryptocurrency presumably that's the intention and taken out i mean it's well you know the other correlating factor there is switzerland is now starting to do things like extradite criminals and turnover records that Mm. it didn't used to so all like the nazi money and the soviet money and the espionage money and the 
uh, the various cartels, Sinaloa, Jalisco, you know, that place ain't safe anymore. And right around the time that that starts happening, you know, there's a lot of interest in crypto. It's correlation, not causation, but mm. still very it's interesting. It's interesting today that a high court in China today said that Bitcoin is protected by law and has economic value. Uh, now, I don't think any other court anywhere in the world has declared that, but the high people's El, court- Sal- El Salvador. so you know maybe if you live in china maybe they'll back your currency i don't know if you have bitcoin but if you live in the united states and you're buying bitcoin you're not getting your money back if you're in one of these exchanges and it crashes i mean there's no there's just you're not going to get it back isn't that what the guy from coinbase just kind of admitted and then unadmitted yeah like it was was an interesting yeah, yeah it was, a, it was it a very interesting. So I don't know exactly the terms of this. I do know that there's new SEC dis, like risk disclosure uh, rules and regulations that they're forcing every company to. Or I don't know if it's every company. I don't know if it's direct listed companies or uh, SPACs also. Or I don't know who's included in this risk disclosure form that is necessary to uh, for some companies to do. But Coinbase was clearly one of those companies. But then shortly thereafter, he did a thread and specifically said, "We have no." risk for bankruptcy which i never heard a ceo say so i like it seems insane coinbase is a huge company i think it's uh, one of the biggest exchanges right in terms of the a place where you can exchange a lot of these different cryptocurrencies with other cryptocurrencies and they make a lot of money and they hold fees. they hold nation state currencies and crypto yeah. and they just kind of let the cat out of the bag that they're not a bank really and they're not covered by the federal deposit insurance corporation which was established after the Great Depression because we had all these financial innovators who were really, what's the technical term, entirely full of shit and fucking criminals. <laughs> and so, you know, and then people starved after that. There were runs on banks because of that fraud. Yeah. And there was famine in the Appalachians. There was a great week and it, it caught fire in other nations and led to another round of world war. So we established these regulations, which apparently some people just want to throw entirely in the trash and think it's going to be okay but i don't know they're not having the fdic thing stamped on the front of the business that goes even if this group of financiers like i bank at a credit union you walk in if these guys who are running it and the ones that i work with are totally charming and it's not high stakes you know there's no 20 percent apr there but if they go out of business because they fuck it up the feds will come in and hand me my money back Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. So I want to. I do want to. So much prosperity. I do want to specifically say that, and I, things may have changed. But as far as I know, on Coinbase, your cash—if you have cash in U.S. dollars—it is FDIC insured. As far as I know, they also have always explicitly stated that if they were to suffer some sort of, I think, hack or or whatever, if, if things were going to go wrong on the exchange, you didn't necessarily have recourse unless it was arbitration. I mean, I think those were rules that have always been on the books. I think the risk disclosure here that was different, that got everybody freaked out, was the idea that if Coinbase went bankrupt, any cryptocurrencies that you hold on the exchange would be used by... Coinbase to pay, to pay out people that they owed money to at that point. Mm. Wow. 
Sounds like a scheme. Sounds like a scam. I mean, it just does. <laughs> so, yeah. No there, way yeah. Well, so that would make, yeah. I mean, I read the technical language and, you know, I know this from working in the bond space and stocks and others. And they're just, they're unsecured creditors. So they're not in line with the employees and the other people that had actual dealings with the company, which is considered, you know, extraordinarily risky. Uh, here's what it says on Coinbase's website. To the extent U.S. customer funds are held as cash, they are maintained in pooled custodial accounts at one or more banks insured by the FDIC. Our custodial accounts have been established in a manner to make available pass-through FDIC insurance up per depositor coverage limit, then in place currently 250000 per, per individual, which is the, the same as FDIC. FDIC pass-through insurance products uh, protect funds held on behalf of a Coinbase customer against the risk of loss should any FDIC-insured banks where we maintain custodial accounts fail. And FDIC insurance coverage is contingent upon Coinbase maintaining accurate records mm-hmm. and on determinations of the FDIC as receiver at the time of a receivership, a bank holding a custodial account. So Coinbase has got behind them some banks where they hold your money. And if those banks go out of business, then FDIC will come in, but contingent on making sure that Coinbase's records are correct. Right. So it's, I mean, it's, better than, no, it's, it's better than being an unsecured debtor, you know, getting in line in a bankruptcy. But now I guess I have to ask, what's their record keeping like? And he's now telling us that bankruptcy for his company is an impossibility. So I wonder what other fantastical thinking he has about generally accepted accounting principles. I love it when CEOs can claim the impossible. Okay, so I mean, we're heading into an election now where inflation surely is going to be the, the big factor. We know that inflation is being pumped up by war because of that is increasing the food prices and by gas prices increases, which is also being pumped up because of the war. So we've got two foreign events that are perhaps driving up inflation in the United States as we head into election. Now, say you were also a foreign state that had a lot of interest in a certain currency sector or economic sector like cryptocurrency, and say you had an interest in electing a certain president in, you know, maybe not this coming election, but the election after that. I mean, it sort of would be a great thing to have, a lever in the U.S. economy where you could crash a currency just before an election. Maybe it'll crash the rest of the cryptocurrency or at least hurt it before an election. That might drag down the overall market, you know, so it creates economic turmoil just before an election. And you add that to inflation. And boy, you might have, you know, a huge weight that you could... uh, have on the election as to who might get elected and you know who would that favor in this scenario well there's only one one party that only favor the gop it would not favor the democrats so i'm not suggesting that china or anybody else might be involved in a scheme like that but you know it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that someone might want to do that if they were that kind of you know nefarious minds i think that nation states are likely they're probably interested in cryptocurrencies. I mean, I think it would be hard to suggest otherwise, right? I mean, it is a new monetary tool. It is a new way to move money, and you can use that for any assortment of things. And so I would think that trying to consider it for use as an attack vector would be something that nation states would definitely think about. It just would make sense that they would consider it. How realistic do I think that is in terms of, I don't think cryptocurrency markets would be the way to affect, like if you're a nation state actor, 
if you want to piss off Americans, there's probably much better ways to mess with inflation, like gas. Like, um, well, they've done that. Like, they're done, they're like, doing uh, that too. They're yeah. doing gas and food prices, but they also could do lying about meat shortages. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so they could just add on top of that, they can add this as well. If you really wanted to have an impact, like if you really wanted to hurt the American economy, those would be three things I would do. I mean, honestly, if I was just thinking in this really malign point, you know, perspective, I think, oh, I'm going to crash the U.S. economy. I might do those three things. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that some previous um, collapses in the U.S. economy have also been triggered by foreign countries. I mean, that's also considered, you know, quite plausible. I, maybe I can, if it's not overstepping my bounds, maybe I could ask a reverse question to both of you, which is that I believe in government. I b believe in regulation. And to me, as somebody who's followed the space for a very long time and been in crypto a long time, about half as long as people who've actually been here for a long time. But uh, I wonder to myself why if the U.S. regulators could shut down Tether tomorrow or shut down Terra or any of these other cryptocurrencies that they want to stop or use as an attack vector or something, why would they have not done it by now? That's a good question. I've, I've thought a lot about it. You know, we're I've examined the prosecutions that have gone forth, which are increasing in number rather rapidly. I've looked at the legal basis on which that they have brought a suit against a company. And a lot of it is based on the Securities and Exchange Act. Speaking of old things that kind of hold up, you're looking at, uh, I think, 1933 or 34. You know, America is a land of financial investment or financial opportunity in a lot of different ways. That's part of our DNA. And, you know, I think we've kind of shown the world how you can do a bunch of initial wildcat, you know, innovation that goes oh, horribly sideways and get it back under control and go, all right, okay, here are the rules, you know, which had to include a lot of things like, you know, a lot of public works projects and social security and other things because, you know, we, we hit this modern economy and we could get really rich really quick and then, you know, starve. It was a real bummer. So we put regulations in line there. And, you know, we've had the same problem for the, you know, for years or so. We don't want to kill the innovation off just because there's risk, because this is America. You know, if you want less of that, go to France where you can do some things, but the really risky stuff going to get, you know, controlled by the state a lot more. We don't want the innovation to go away, but we don't want the rule of law to go away either. So the reason we haven't shut it, you know, the people that are doing things that are egregious, we are prosecuting them under some really basic tenets of the Securities and Exchange Act, which is like, did you put out a, first of all, are you a security? Did you register with us? Because you have to do that if you're going to sell securities, you know, and if you did, did you put out a prospectus? And did you talk about what risk? And were you honest about that risk? And then did you update your people on a regular basis. And that's what people are getting sued for. They're not, you know, right now, that's how they're being prosecuted. There's no different than 90 years ago. And, right, um, it, you know, SEC it, hasn't it, taken on crypto yet. Well, they, I mean, they have no, 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 no official true. regulatory role in crypto, I don't think. Do they? Well, they, they can, do. They they can, well, here, there's a lot of question. Is this a commodity mm -hmm. like gold? Or is this, you know, is it a, or a currency? Like, because, you know, Forex currencies can be, or is it a security? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are some people out there like, it's neither. Well, you kind of got to pick a lane here. Is this, you know, we call it cryptocurrency. If it's currency, then it needs to be regulated CFTC. If it's like betting on a stock, then it's got to be sort of SEC. Mm -hmm. 
the CFTC rules are pretty similar too. Are you going to come on the grid? Are you going to describe your activities? Are you lying about them? Yeah. And the other stuff, are you laundering money for heroin dealers? Mm. That's another thing, you know, <laughs> you know, but that shit's already, that's illegal with $20 bills through, through a laundromat. So just because something's technical doesn't mean you want to necessarily get rid of it. You know, you can do the, you know, you can use the existing laws and just, you know, prosecute. Of course, during the Trump years there, we have a bunch of laws that weren't getting prosecuted on anything. So there's room to move there. But here's the strategically important thing I see. The metric ton of offshore money that is getting closed off in the seashells in Monaco, Liechtenstein, uh, New York, Nevada, South Dakota. I mean, there's a lot. Of, there's a whole second economy we don't talk about. And the United States is zoning in on it. And that money is squeezing out in lots of different directions. And, you know. Uh, we're, we're not going to shut down the concept of real estate. We're not going to shut down the concept of currency exchanges, probably. But if you're making your own brand new currency thingy, that, that might get outlawed at some point. Yeah. I mean, certainly you're right about the innovation piece. I mean, there's no doubt that there's, America is reluctant to to interrupt any innovation. And that's been, you know, it's hurt America. Look at what happened with Facebook. Look at what's, uh, you know, that is not being a good product for America. Crypto is not being a good product for America, I would argue. And I think it's going to... And it basically it doesn't even come from America. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it's not designed to do anything other than replace the US dollar as a currency, as the main currency around well, the world. That's we really go. the goal behind it. So, you know, that is not a good thing for America because America likes having the US dollar as a standard for that. So, you know, there's consideration right now for let's see if we can make it a, some sort of regulated asset. But in the meantime, you're seeing all these exchanges you know, losing billions of dollars at a time, millions of dollars at a time. And where's that money going? I mean, it, where is that money? Where's that value going? Because the last exchanges that I know that bankrupt them did not happen on American soil. They happened probably the same place Tether exists, which is nowhere. And, you know, then North Korea. Yeah. So where, where's this money going and who's getting rich off it? And uh, someone must be. I mean, last we heard about wow. Mount Gox, it was the FSB that got the money. Why did the FSB get the money? You know, really? it's, uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it was Alex chaps. Vinnick is what the claim claim was. Yeah, yes. but and really it was Alexander the FSB. Vinnick. I don't know. I don't know if it's ultimately the F- FSB. I think it was ultimately the FSB. That. My could, research was could. like it's, it landed up in, in certain members of the FSB. I mean, so, you know, that will well, give you a clue as to who might be running these things. And so, the, you know. It's not healthy to have all of this happen at the same time as we're having an attack on democracy with the installation of a, you know, a Russian asset as a president in 2016, followed by this current war we're having indirectly, but still with between Ukraine and Russia. You've got all these other things happening in the world. China's, you know, thinking about attacking Taiwan. There's all these other, you know, not healthy things for the world to throw on top of that. This cryptocurrency thing, which is going to destabilize the currencies of the world, seems maybe unnecessary. I mean, if I was just picking up a list of things that we needed to deal with one time, if you could delay one of those things, like cryptocurrency by 10 years, I'd be okay with that. We'd be okay without cryptocurrency for a decade. But I think the issue becomes one. I know we're talking a lot about here, like attack vectors or, you know, its usefulness for a different nation state or something like that. But I think that the issues that have grown and caused such problems in the cryptocurrency space, whether we're talking about 
hacks that give North Korea $600 million, or we're talking about hacks that kill protocols in a day and just give a random person $300 million or something. We're talking about corporate greed. And this space, as much as any other space, is now fully influenced by venture capitalists, hedge funds, angel investors, people who strictly are here. There's always been a a bit of like, we're only here to make money. I think that has always been a big part of cryptocurrency. But when you have venture capitalists investing in stable coins that are promising 20% APR, to me, that feels like a really good sign of a systemic sickness of this is not just cryptocurrency. This is traditional trading firms and real venture capitalists with real money, putting that real money into this, essentially a scam. And it's simply because it promised high yield. And that's the problem. That's where we're at. That has to do with inflation. That has to do with all sorts of corporate greed. It has to do with all sorts of things, right? But it's like, it is, I don't know, it's something we have to reckon with as a nation. I think America is quite greedy right now, I think. Yes, we could also just ban it. I mean, someone should just figure out how to stop cryptocurrencies for the next while and we'll be okay. We'll be fine. Like Facebook, I, ban I really, that. I truly be fine don't too. think you can. I don't you, think you can ban it. You, you can, I don't you, think I, it's... Doesn't Russia do that? The genie Russia is out of the bottle. It's like, like trying to ban gold. Like you can try to ban gold. I, people are Gold is actually useful, point, but, but right? crypto is not very useful. I mean, look at the collapse. And like, how many, nine times it's lost 70% of its value. No one's noticed except people in the marketplace. It's, you know, gold Even you know, if you value. only think it's useful for criminals, I think yeah. that a huge section of our economy works that way, right? I mean, that is the black market is like a very real market in any economy. So even if it's simply criminals, which it isn't, I mean, there's normal people who are just speculating on it and having fun and doing their own thing, which is fine. Even if you think it's only criminals, that is essentially, whether we like it or not, that is a use case. And they're going to continue to use it. We shut down the Silk Road however many years ago. Sorry, let me interrupt you. But you know, PayPal has had the same problems when it started out and PayPal was essentially used by criminals. It's still used by criminals today and lots of money laundering happens. We don't need another thing. You know, there's all sorts of ways. Yeah, I mean, we have casinos. At least they have (laughs) like fun bands that show up in them and craps is fun. You know, we do not need as a society to have every possible way for child traffickers to swap cash with, uh, you know, methamphetamine dealers. We don't need that necessarily. No, and I'm not suggesting that... There's a ton of, I'm not saying it's necessary most of the time, I guess. And I guess my point being that, uh, for instance, a, a great thing that we probably largely don't need at all is heroin. But are you going to get rid of all the heroin in America? And the answer is like, whether heroin is useful or not, which it pretty much isn't. We can talk about the use cases of like fentanyl in pain medication or something like maybe there's some usefulness there, maybe. But like heroin itself is not very useful. It's still going to exist in America in 100 years. I can almost guarantee it. So as much as you don't like it, that doesn't mean that it's not going to can't just make it go away. You can't it's just make the these best laws example. go away. It's not the best example because heroin is actually, fentanyl particularly, is a Chinese export designed to probably hurt the American economy as well, but um, like the opiate war, opium wars. But, you know, and therefore, like in the same way, like it's not necessary. It should be banned. It shouldn't be legal. Cryptocurrency should not be around so people can use that to influence the but, economy. You know, I mean, just to, just to argue. I fully agree on the, like, I don't think heroin is useful in any way, shape or form. But again, whether or not it's legal, in America, people are going to do heroin. 
Right. And so I think this is a similar thing where people have are going to be able to access, like they can access the dark web. You can just download a Tor browser. You know, you can use, type in an onion address and go on the dark web. Anyone can do it. Like you can't really stop that as much as you want to. Additionally, like the government, you think cryptocurrencies would exist if they were sorry. Cryptocurrencies would exist if it wasn't available in the United States. I think it's the only reason that it exists is because you can basically convert it to U.S. dollars, which is the currency that people respect around the world the most. I mean, if it was other currencies, you know, no one's rushing to get into the ruble right now. So it's really the U.S. dollar that makes this gives us legitimacy. So if you didn't have it legally in the United States as legal tender or anything like that, then I don't know if anyone else will be rushing into it, but that's just me. Yeah, and, and the U.S. Treasury at any time can stop any organization from having access to the U.S. dollar. That's what a sanction is. So actually, this thing can be sanctioned tomorrow afternoon. The whole thing shut down by the U.S. Treasury tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, it wouldn't be a bad so idea. It might be. So <laughs> things like stable coins could, but you can't really sanction Bitcoin as a whole. And the reason is that it runs on a host of different nodes throughout the world. So it will continue despite the fact that even if you say like any U.S. citizen caught with Bitcoin uh, will go to jail or whatever the law would be, even if you made that kind of a law, the Bitcoin network would continue to run. And there are ways that people could acquire Bitcoin without yeah. the government ever finding out that you have Bitcoin. Absolutely, right now it's in that middle there ground. There are ways that you could do that. Right now it's in the middle ground of maybe we'll regulate it, maybe we won't, we're still thinking about it, we're just testing it. I'm just, you know, I'm in favor of them just like not regulating it. And we gotta go because look at the time. Cass, PNC, thanks for being here tonight. It's been a good conversation. It's great to have you here. And by the way, people should to find you. Where can they find you and where can they find your podcast? Uh, you I'm on address? Twitter, Cass PNC, and our podcast is called Crypto Critics Corner. We're on obviously, you know, any of your podcast platforms or YouTube, and you can find us there. So yeah. There's a lot of podcasts that are very pro Bitcoin. Probably like 99% of podcasts about Bitcoin are positive. You guys are actually take a critical look at it. And uh, it's great and refreshing to hear that on the show. So everyone check out uh, the uh, Crypto Critics Corner. And Eric Garland, a futurist. Yes. Futurist. You know, I keep forgetting to tell people about your books. Can people still get Future Inc. and those incredible books that you wrote? Yeah, apparently it's been reacquired and we're going to be doing another printing of them. But uh, Future Inc., uh, How Businesses Can Anticipate and Profit from What's Next, and its satirical counterpart, How to Predict the Future and Win. Sarah coming, Garland is very talented. That I took me this long. We've been doing this for a while to realize that he actually wrote these books because he's so humble. He won't even mention them himself. Future Inc. by Eric Garland. <laughs> buy it. Buy it today. He might, he might have predicted crypto many years ago. Uh, also, the podcast uh, that Eric, you can find him on is Game Theory Today. And this is Narrative Live. And uh, I'm Zev Shalev. Thank you for watching tonight. Uh, narrative.org is the website, but you can join our Patreon program at patreon.com forward slash narrative and we want to thank all our patrons for making tonight's show possible we really can't do this without you guys and that is tonight's narrative live we'll see you all again have a good night everybody narrative is made possible by viewers like you join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative that's patreon.com forward slash narrative